Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Live. Guys, welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Um, this is honestly a rare, rare, rare occasion to have all four of us together in one yes. spot. Yeah, it's, we made uh, it. It's been a long time. It doesn't so. happen very often outside September. No, no. no, it was cool on the drive up here. We all sat in the same rig, which doesn't happen pretty much outside of elk season. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a treat. But um, So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk about elk season. We're going to talk about what we're planning for this year, and then we're gonna open it up just to question and answer. If there's anything that you guys have for us, um, we'd be more than happy to try to answer any questions that you have, whether it be about season, whether it be about marital problems, whatever. whatever. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Just, you know, Trent's counseling. So. Yeah, psychiatrists <laughs> up here, we can do just about anything. So anyway, but um, season plans, take it away, Cody. Um, so a lot of people are asking, uh, what's Land of the Free look like? Well, we're actually changing this year. We're going back to our roots, back to the beginning, and it's going to be called Tagged Out. And uh, so the biggest thing over the last couple of years, we've been going in so many different directions, like let's jump back, hunt together. And so we're going to kick it off in Oregon, the four of us hunting Roosevelt's and the Oregon coast. Super excited to kind of go back to where we started this dream in 2007 and uh, really get things going. And uh, then from there, things get a little Western and wild and start hitting the road on. So next up from Oregon. First, Steve, go ahead. Well, we will be hunting <coughs> the first week here and then we'll be headed to Wyoming. Wyoming, the yeah. 30th. So Wyoming starts the first, first of, of September. September. So we will turn and burn right out of here and uh, try to make it overnight one day trip to Wyoming where we will be pairing up with Dirt Durham, yep. uh, which is going to be a good. It's, it's be always fun. a good time with him. Yeah. You know, I'm sure. As you can see, see Trent is another tag holder in Wyoming. Uh, taking Thank points. you. You're welcome. How did you do that? Three years in a row. <laughs> hey, made a few phone calls. Cards fell. Yeah. I'm holding the tag. Sorry. <laughs> That's the way it goes. That's interesting. Or I conned Steve into it. You did. Either yeah. or. Either or. It's gonna be fun though. Oh, we're gonna have a blast. Yeah. So we're gonna do we're gonna do the whole Wyoming game again, and we're just gonna from there on we're just gonna kind of see how that goes. There may be a chance that we'll head somewhere else. Um, if depends on how tagging goes. Depends on uh, the hunt and in general. Yes. But the big one. Well, at the same time. <laughs> sorry to skip over. Uh, myself and Wes are going to head to Colorado. Oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot. We're going to head to Colorado. <laughs> and actually, if you guys are on YouTube much, the hunting public, uh, some whitetail guys back east, we're going to take them on their first elk hunt in Colorado. So it'll be uh, kind of a, a pretty fun, it'll be a backpack trip. So right now they're in pure panic mode as to like. Didn't what you to say that they have they, like bog boots? Well, yeah. they've never done this before, yeah, right? They've, they've, they've literally never backpacked. In a Jansport so. backpack or something? Yeah, so we're trying fun. to help uh, <laughs> wrangle all our gear together and make it all together. And so um, there'll be two guys from there and then ourselves and our buddy Zach uh, from Onyx joining us in Colorado for that period of time where they're in Wyoming. And then, uh, so that's kind of the collaborations part of the season. And then we kind of go back to the, the main group of us in the big one that 
Steve. All for one. Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to draw a very, very good Arizona elk tag this year. So it'll be very exciting that we all get to hunt together yeah. in one spot again. So Yeah. So that season be, kicks in uh, September 13th, 13th. And so we're committed from 13th to when ta- uh, Steve the tags 26th. out. We'll so. be leaving on the 14th. Probably. We're taking bets. How many days do you think it's going to take in Arizona? Yeah. Um, 14 if day you have hunt. Trent running camera by me, it could be within 48 hours. Just a <laughs> fistful of arrows. It, yeah. Just it, medieval times. Yeah. Steve, that three point looks really big. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, look at the bass. <laughs> Growing up here, Shoot. you know, like we hunt uh, primarily a, a unit down south where it's three point or better. So if, it, if it's legal, it's going down. So this is the first time in our lives to where we're going to try to like hold arrows from Steve's quiver and saying, you know, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to kill a big bull and we've never done that before. So with that being said, I mean, how many bulls have we seen at 20 yards that are like a six point, you know, it's going to be hard to It'll be very not, tough. You're like, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. You got this. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it is different. And we have points in Oregon. We all of us have a lot of points in Oregon. Um, Cody's got what nineteen. Um, didn't draw his deer tag this year with twenty or nineteen or twenty. 19, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we didn't draw any tags in Oregon this year. We actually no. tried, and um, we did not. So we're gonna. Yeah. It, it, I think it's weird. I think it, I think the discussion of when we do draw a tag would be something that we could talk about sometime. As far as the fear of. Because like Cody just said, we don't pass stuff up. You've seen, I mean, we if it's legal, it's usually getting shot at. And, and getting a tag that takes 20 years to get, how is our reactions on that? And Because I, I would never want to shoot something and be like, oh, man, you know. I, I wouldn't ever. I, I just, I, I don't think I would, I don't think that would ever come to mind. So, anyway, it'll be interesting in the next couple few years what happens with uh, all our points and how we how we go about it and, and what tags we decide to draw and piggyback on people and For sure. draw another Wyoming tag or something, whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yep. And then uh, from there, Trevor and I have Montana tags, so we'll be headed north to Montana, depending on dates and when uh, Steve finishes in Arizona. And uh, there might be a possible wild card in between Colorado, whether Idaho, Utah type scenario. So. The whole concept is like when we're tagged out, we're moving on. So we may be there for 10 days. We may be there for five days, however that goes. So kind of um, fast and loud and go from there. So Hope for the best. Hopefully. Yeah. So that's our season right there, pretty yeah. much. And like Cody says, after, after Steve's hunt, it could be we could go back to Wyoming if we haven't tagged out there yeah. or, you know, however, however it works. So. It's going to be fun. Um, we're going to kind of leave this one up. In the previous years, we've done kind of planning. We go 10 days here with Hushin, or then 10 days here, and then, 10, you know, that's the way we broke it up before. And uh, this year, just to switch things up, and like Cody just said, kind of the motto behind it is fast and loud. So we're going to try to just go into places, one tag, and turn and burn and try to go, you know, everybody, try to get everybody an opportunity in an elk. Hopefully, that's the goal. Anyway, uh, do we want to open it up? Yeah, I think the yeah, biggest biggest thing for us is uh, we don't want to sit up here and talk. We want to be able to answer any questions, engage with you guys. So <coughs> open the floor, um, talk loud so we can hear you on the podcast and get you guys to the airwaves. But um, 
Any burning questions? Raise your hands. It's somebody. Yes, sir. Is Trevor going to pick the new theme song for this season? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the okay. See, he's not singing it either. No. No, he's not. So I take it you haven't picked one out yet. Though. We actually have. We've. <laughs> A lot of people have submitted songs to us. Oh, this okay. is what you need to use. This is what you need to use. So we've got a what a deck of about ten different songs. Yeah, it's been yeah. It, so it, it was interesting. Like the song topic last year was like, oh, it's a new season. It's a new song, and there was like blowback. Hard. There was a little outrage. Yeah, so we upset people. It was interesting. There is a, an anime song. The same artist that did Savages. It's been on on the top of the list, but we'll see how it, it kind of shakes out. So, well, both of them are really good. Well, thank you. I have thank to you. Say I like. Savages, I yeah, because it was completely different and it really iconed you guys. So, oh, thank cool. you, appreciate that. So, I would have to agree with that. Good feedback, I really love you. Yeah, should have went with Savages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the kids really like dancing to that one. Go ahead, I'm a new hunter. Yeah, um, I'm a been hunting for um, a few years now. Um, so this will be. Um, like I explained to you guys downstairs, this will be my first archery elk hunt ever in life. That's awesome. Um, and so just, it's been a lot of apprehension on my part, um, trying to figure out where to go and kind of a plan of attack for myself. Um, <coughs> and just what what the best approach would be for a new hunter. Mm. Um, Steve? I would say probably talk to, you know, local biologists, the areas you're thinking about going. Uh Um, Just try to figure out, you know, the elk numbers, bull-to-cow ratios, you know, the amount of public land opposed to private land. Uh Um, You know, private land that allows access, that doesn't allow access. That would be a really good starting point. And specifically, you know, (laughs) if you're local, going into your local bow shops, talking to them, telling them you're brand new at hunting, you know, if they're setting you up... or, or whatever, say, hey, can you point me in some directions? Um, you know, there's some big uh, things of public land, like we have down our area. We have, what, the Elliott State Forest, some big swaths of thousands of acres. There's some areas there where you can just dive in and, you know, just pick a landing, and that's kind of what we do. Kind of the two things, honestly, that come to mind as a first-time hunter I would say dedicate as much time as possible. Yes. So yeah. you've got 30 days a season, so try to maximize every day, however that works out. Um, and number two is, like, embrace the failures. Like, figure out what what didn't go right and how, if you would encase that same situation, like, what, what would you have done differently? Like, try to kind of just take it all in. Um, you know, if you, if you guy you journal or anything like that, take notes because... A lot of times you just kind of forget what happened and, you know, embrace those small wins. Like, I heard a bull today. Like, that's a big part of it. And Mm -hmm. then just kind of build on that. So um, by going out and doing it, you're going to be successful. Like, even if you don't fill a tag, like that side of it, uh, I I feel like that's a big thing to embrace. And then another thing I would recommend is just don't be afraid of failure. So if you... If you see some elk down in something, you're like, well, I don't want to go down there and screw it up and blow them out of the area. I know they're here. No, go down there and screw it up. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise you can get <coughs> so tentative sometimes that you don't make that move to get you in the right position. Uh, you grab a wind checker and your your bow or, or your rifle and, and go see if you can make it happen. Most of our elk that we've taken, we've taken in the evenings after work when we only literally have an hour and a half window 
and we'll stumble on a place, we'll hear a bull bugle, and in 10 minutes, you know, get in position, and it you can make it happen that quick. So don't be afraid to get out there and fail, or even if you have a small window, try. And, and you're going to spend 90% of your time looking for elk, trying to find them. That's the hardest part of elk hunting, is just trying to find them. And then that 10%, there's a million things that can go wrong in that 10%. So just like searching and when you find them that's the big win and then like trevor said just don't be afraid i think a lot of people are very apprehensive apprehensive of like i don't want to mess this up and so they'll just freeze and then opportunity that could happen there's a big difference with good hunters and killers and it's like knowing that line when to make the move and push the issue to to make your opportunity so and it just comes with time and experience so and to there's i think the learning curve is so much less than it used to be even 15 years ago with the internet. I mean, there's so much information out there. Thanks uh, to you guys. Well, <laughs> thank part, you. But, part but, of it. Yeah, but, but yeah, but I mean, with with you got uh, Go Hunt, you know, to you know, or the Onyx map, so you can see all the area before you even step foot in it, and the the whole thing around e scouting and and. Um, it's it's amazing what you can do without even even coming close to the area. How much you can actually know it before you even get there, and uh, doing that kind of a side of things. That way, when you get there, you're a little more familiar too. And and then the other thing is, don't fall in love with a specific area. I think a lot of people they, they have some familiarity with it, or it was the first time you got into elk, so you're going to kind of keep going back there, keep going back there, and it's like they may have moved on. So kind of elk are exactly where you find them and it's a big variance sometimes it's in the picturesque what you would hope to see an elk and other times it's in the biggest brush hole that you don't ever want to go back into but that's where they're living so gotcha yeah thanks man. thank you yeah anybody and back way in the go back go ahead um you guys that hunt here in oregon know that it is super hard to get away from other hunters mm-hmm. you know you, you try to hike in and get deep and before you know you're on another road, you know, and there's always people there. Yeah. Like, and you're talking about the e-hunting and trying to, you know, we, like, I have a really good friend that actually works downstairs right here, and we've been hunting the last three years and come up dry. I mean, not even come close to the animals. And every time we go in, you know, we find we found a spot that this looks really cool, you know, it's like nobody's going to want to hike in there. So we always get there, there's always, you know, 1,500 guys. Yeah. How do you get around that? How do you, like, how do you troubleshoot away from that? So I would say there's a few things that we do. We pick not one spot. We pick a lot of different spots within maybe a certain mile radius. So then if someone's at our spot initially, we'll go to spot number two. If someone's in spot number two, we'll go to spot number three. Uh, so then we have some multiple options there. Another thing is don't be afraid to travel a little bit to get away. Um, I think that um, that is a big help for us. And then finally, don't be discouraged by other people being around. So there'll be maybe a guy on a road here and here. You, it doesn't mean that the elk aren't there. It probably means the elk are there. You know, if you're willing to just put in the the work and hike a little farther, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I remember when we went out of state. How many people? <coughs> When we pulled up at that trailhead, there 90, was... Well, on the way in, we saw 97 rigs. And that could be super discouraging, but we were able to find elk and kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because there's a lot of people doesn't mean that the elk aren't there either. And then kind of basing, like, you have this plan, and then all of a sudden there is four other people at that trailhead. 
okay, if I was an elk and there is the pressure here, where is it going to go? And start looking at that outskirt area. What other opportunities? If I go down this next ridge or drainage, if they're hunting from the top, they're going to push into the bottom and come in on another road system. Kind of start pairing in on what that pressure looks like and where that's going to drive the elk. So, and it, it definitely can be closer to the road. I've had s- several friends, and we've had close encounters, killing bulls right off the highway. But it's going to be you're hearing thick. the highway in the background, and you know, so it's not always necessarily deeper. It's just, yeah. I, I would say we've learned that more in the last couple of years than anything is. When we first started, we thought, you know, you got to be a backcountry hunter, right? You're not even hunting unless you're five miles, you know. In the last two years, I bet we haven't got further than two miles, three miles at times off the yeah. road, hardly. And um, there's that buffer zone where you got those backcountry guys, and you got those road hunters, and then there's that one and a half mile to three mile area that it's we've found is pretty good. That's good advice. Go ahead. How long do you guys generally give an area before you switch areas to go check out a new area? Some questions. Hang on. Let's repeat the question just so that Mike knows. Okay. The question is, how long do you give an area before you move on? Steve? Now go ahead. I think it just depends. Yeah, per se, like what we've, we originally used to like take a 10-day backpack trip and pack for 10 days, go in. And now we've really shifted to three nights, four days, somewhere there. Um, And if, if we're in an area, and even if we've got planned for four days, and we have not heard a bugle, haven't seen a fresh rub, we'll bounce out of there after 48 hours. Um, kind of, you know, any of that. The cool thing in September, elk bugle, you know, you can cover that ground a lot at night too. Like listening at night is a is a key, and it's like, okay, they're there, but you know, what are they doing in the daytime? Um, so, with if you're not getting those encounters. Yeah, within 48 hours, bounce into another drainage. And, and, and a lot of the moves may not be drastic. They could just be a different drainage. Um, or some of them are 50 miles. And so uh, depending on the pressure, too, I would say. so. Be very mobile. Always pick yeah, at least sure. three spots, I would say. Always, okay. And you'll see them or smell them or hear them. Or, you know, elk are giant animals. You, They're not ghosts. So if you're not anywhere around sign or rubs or fresh, you know, Keep moving. And Just keep going. Yeah, Oregon, especially like the coast and Cascades, seems like those elk have circuits, right? They've got a four to f- yeah. four day, six day cycle, whatever. And you know, and as you kind of hone in and hunt that country, like okay, if they're not here, they're here, or they're here, you know, and you can kind of start zoning in. But that can be a ten mile radius, you know. So, um, I'd like to add just real quick to that uh, with fire season, they'll they'll. It's real important to have A, B, and C areas to go because there's likelihood that your area prime A is going to be closed down and you're not going to even be able to get into it. So that's a great yeah, for sure. That's a great point. Yep. With fire season, yeah, it's a sometimes like on Land of Free 1.0, yeah. we hunted for two days and got kicked out of the area that we were hunting. So I mean, we talk about it every single year. Change plans. The you week know? before we're like, are we even going to get to hunt here? Are we going east or what, what are we going to do? Because it can be day by day. It can. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, in watching your guys' videos and stuff, you're always talking about calling with how the elk are reacting in regards to Rocky Mountain elk and everything like that. But, you know, of course, Roosevelt are completely different. So, 
and you know you guys have your cat road shuffle term and everything and you're you're just throwing bugles 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 but is it are you are you mixing in different calls or are you scraping are you doing other stuff right. in regards to to uh roosevelt's i i haven't seen all your guys' videos sure. I'm, I'm going through but, sure yeah um but so in, in that regard you you know that the um you're not hearing bugles back are you are you changing up your sequence or how are you doing that right so so the question is are are we do we do anything different between bugle and rockies and rosies or what do we do there so Right off the bat, we'll go up to a spot, and, and the cat road shuffle is honestly this. It's walking to a spot, and usually we try to have, not always, but some kind of a canyon or something, or we're just walking along, and every 75 to 100 yards, depending on topography, because as you know, around here, I mean, the trees, everything sucks up the sound so much. If you ever want to test it, have your partner or something, you know, go out and bugle 75 yards away, and you'll be shocked how quiet it is, you know, so... Anyway, and we'll start out with just a high-pitched call, and then listen, and a high-pitched bugle. And a lot of times before that, we'll do some cow calls. We'll do some cow calls through a bugle, stuff like that. And um, after that, we just then we go to like maybe a bugle and a chuckle, and then we listen. Because bulls will re they'll sound off to different sounds. It's it's weird, but some bulls will react to a chuckle more than they will a bugle. Some bulls will react to just cow calls. They won't even bugle back to a bugle. So. We try to go through the whole sequence of calls, whether it be cow calling, whether it be just chuckling, whether it be chuckling and bugling, and or different pitches, low pitch, high pitch, growls, a lip ball, you know, you've heard of probably, um, that we do on the videos a lot is, uh, you know, press your lips together and get a different noise out of it. And some, some bulls will just respond to something like that. So every elk is different. And what we're trying to do is just get that one response, just to where we can start the game and start the dance, if you will, um, of going through that whole sequence. And so we do that. And after we go through our whole sequence, kind of, and everybody, every one of us does it different. Everybody, every, we, we're all different as far as what we like to do and how the cadence that we do it. Then we'll go... 7,500 yards and do it all over again. But it's, okay. it's definitely a playbook. Like yeah. It's pretty repetitive throughout the day. Yeah. Until you get Until that response. Until you get the response, and then we try to repeat that exact sound that got the response, and usually they key in on that, and then we kind of change our game and close. And go we bugle there. probably 200 over, over 200 times a day probably. Yeah. I, and it, a lot of that's based on emotion. Like how that elk's response is based on the emotion. And so I wouldn't say that there's a scientific method to it, and it's not just solely art. It's kind of that combination. But it definitely, uh, Roosevelt's are far more territorial. Um, they live in a smaller area. The closer you get, the more intense things get. Um, more susceptible to calling, in my opinion, than a rocky bull. Uh, for sure. Yeah. If, we had a if we had a choice between bugling in a Roosevelt and bugling in a Rocky Mountain, it'd be a Roosevelt every single time. Give me a Roosevelt. Yep. Every time. Yep. I have a related question. Um, I'm starting to get competent with my mouth calls, but I'm not sure if I'm going too high pitch with them, if you guys are backing off on it at all to keep your, your pitch down at all, and if there's such a thing as going too long with the bugle, that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, so. I wouldn't say it in the calling side of it too high. It's just basically volume, um, especially on the location side. So a lot of times that high pitch carries very well. Um, and it can be, I wouldn't say in calling, 
you could get too long in what realistically <coughs> is, but on the location, not so much. Um, the, the hardest part is if it is too long and echoes, you may have a bull answer that you didn't know answered because he actually answered during that bugle. Um, so uh, I don't know, like, time-wise what an average bugle is. I never even thought about timing. Yeah, a couple seconds, but not, you know, too long, uh, three seconds. And um, the biggest, the hardest thing is just pinpointing them on that response. So, okay. yeah. 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 I would, if I may offer a suggestion in your future videos, is I would like to see the evolution of your archery. Oh. I would like to see what bows you started out with, what broadheads, and what got you to where you are now. I'd also like to see in your hunts, you guys do fabulous tracking. You show how you're tracking the blood, what you're looking for, how you follow the, the kill into that. But then when you get there, the next thing you know, you're stripping the skin off. And I go, well, where's the arrow? Where did it end up? How did it yeah. How did it go yeah. in? What? And I'd like to know what you guys used on that hunt. You know, are you using, shooting a 60-pound bow with a, you know, and uh, I, I know you're not trying to do macro commercials, you know, for all the, right. you know, manufacturers, but I watch these videos to learn because, you know, I have a Monday through Friday job, nine to five, like everybody else, and I just can't go out and do and sure. test and, and nor it can get pretty expensive to do all of that. And uh, I've, I've kind of narrowed it down to what the system I'm using but as of yet, I have not had success yet, but uh, I'm hopeful. But I rely on your type of videos to uh, fine tune it, you know, break it down and say, no, that's not what I want. Oh, that looks like right into my basket, so. That's all good. That's great feedback. feedback. Yeah. Great feedback. Because sometimes we, I would say, sometimes get caught up in the hunting and, and especially when you have so many tags to fill and it's like, okay, we got one, let's, you know, but I, yeah, that's great. Well, you guys do that step. after, you know, the after Correct. you've had a yeah. chance to review. Now you can go in and say, well, we were using, you know, I'm not expecting you to, you know, right there, Johnny on the spot. Sure, sure, sure. sure. And start, you know. No, but that's a great, doing that's, this, that's I'll great have, I'll have Trent do that right after. I'm going to make it a point. <laughs> oh, goodness. Question the far back there. Uh, so you guys had some of the best video on Roosevelt to start with, like Steve Oh man, this is a great question. question. What would you recommend someone getting, um, just getting into filming hunts? My recommendation was just do it. Um, we get a ton of questions. Well, what camera are you using? Well, I need that camera. No, you don't. You could, I mean, you could film a great hunt with your stinking cell phone and they, the camera's on them the technology is so good from like when we first started filming when it was real film you know and now it's the technology is so good i would just say to anybody just do it if you if you have a passion to do something uh whether it be filming whether it be what it, whatever it may be get out there and just just try it see if you like it and don't let things hold you back. Don't let, I don't have a microphone, or I don't have good audio, or I don't have, you know, whatever it may be, a tripod, or whatever. Um, I would just say, go go, go try it. Press record. No, yep. and find, I mean, that was yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, it's literally, like, find the stuff, when you come back and edit, like, okay, that worked, that didn't work. And then you, but if you don't record it, and then you're like, you come back to edit, and there's a huge gap. You're like, oh, I missed this. So, um, you definitely, I would say early on, <laughs> Early on, we overfilmed, but it, it was okay. And now you kind of know how things are piecing together, and you can shorten that up. But it only 
the learning curve to get there. You know, I don't think you can shortcut that too much. So. And I've heard so many people come up and say, well, I'm just trying to save up for a camera. Uh, you know, you can probably, I would get a camera for under 200 bucks. You could get a tripod for 50 bucks and a couple extra batteries and you could go and you could do a lot of what we're doing. Yep. Um, you know, for under 500 bucks and you could do a good job at it. It's just a matter of getting in there and trial and error. You had a question right here. Uh, yeah, so we hunt all day like you do or you're on the Oregon coast. Uh, you are mentioning bugling 200 times a day, but we're walking. So I was just wondering, you know, as far as distance covered, if we're walking, you know, 10 miles sure. in the hunt, obviously we wouldn't be bugling 200 times in that range. Or oh, yeah. Might be, be, might be 300. Might be three in yeah, that range. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll average. So, so it was how far do you go with, between bugles and how right. how much do you bugle? That, yeah, our average is... Well, is, that's if we're getting on elk. We're bugling a lot more. Okay. Because they're responding, we're answering. Responding, yeah. we're answering. True. When we're just searching, yeah. it might only be 100. Okay. And but we average, and we average probably, I would say, on an average, probably seven to eleven miles a day, somewhere in there. I would say. Yeah. And yeah. On, the, on the coast, like we're bike hunting, definitely more. Yeah. yeah. For, I'm just talking on foot. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and then because just to follow up on that, um, we haven't been able to figure out. We've been hunting the Oregon coast forever. A specific time of the month that they bugle. Sometimes, like, okay, on day fourteen they started. Yeah. Like, okay, on day three. Yeah. Okay, you know, we haven't been able to figure out. That's kind of why we moon cycle whatever. That's why we cover so much ground. Is because we're looking. We judge it like as where you're fishing. We're gonna row down the river and we're looking for a fish that wants to bite. We're not gonna fish in a hole that has a ton of fish that don't want to bite, right? Yeah. So that's what we relate it to. Something like that. So it's we are covering enough ground. We may pass by. We don't know. You know, yeah. five bulls, ten bulls. You never know how what's there. Or that you spook out, that you don't hear, whatever. But we're just looking for that one that wants to play the game that we want to play. Change so, your day. And and the last thing, now that it's hot here, yeah. you know, it wasn't 95, 100 degrees, you know, 20 years ago when you're hunting. And we're hunting all day, you know, we stink. So what are we doing about this scent? You know, it's just if you're in there two, three days. Wind body spray is good. Yeah. You know, old yeah. spice is good. We, we put on deodorant. Oh yeah, when that's it. Win, about, win, uh, win. Set, you don't use cover scent though. No, no. Nope. guys about that before. Nope. Yeah. Everyone, look, we will carry uh, cow and heat or cow urine with a spray bottle, and that is in a setup. Bulls coming in, wind changes, and and we've had it work where it's that split second pause and get an okay. opportunity. Um, but that's like last case scenario. We won't wear it on us. Because okay, no. that's like one sense for us, like when hunting, you smell them a lot of times before you hear them or, you know, whatever. So, and yeah. Quickly to answer your question about the bugling, uh, what time of year is yeah. it better? Yeah. In 2007, the first bugle we heard was our 22nd day, was it? Each year is different. Yeah. Last yeah. year, we bugled in a bull on opening day. Okay. And, and day two. And he was Screaming, and right. if we would have just gotten to him before the other hunter did, I'm sure we would have been in had a shot opportunity. So I don't really, there's no magic awesome. there. Thank it's you all very much. All over the board. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'd like to add to the comment about scents. Yeah. Over in Eastern Oregon, grab yourself some juniper and some sage and rub it all over your clothes. It will it will wipe down, and you'll blend right in. And then over here on the, grab yourself uh, some. Oh yeah, and just just rub it. Don't get the 
heavy pitch and stuff. I've been trying to get Trent to roll on an elk wallow, but I can't get him to do it. <laughs> you smelled me about day, day, four, too, about day 45 last yeah, year. I don't recommend peeing on yourself, but, you know. I wouldn't go that way. No. Well, elk do it, so, you know. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah they do. Go ahead. Yeah, back on the scent thing. So, I mean, I've seen videos you guys are waking up in your camo. Yeah. And it's like, we've been hell-bent on when we get back to camp, we get that camo off, we get in a set bag, we do this, we do that. And we play the win, too, but uh, I was just like, wow, you're sleeping in your camo. Yeah, we've that, oh, right. that's, that's, that's awesome if you, you know, but you, and you're successful, so. We just back use, I mean, like, in a season time, I'll, we'll go through two of those smoking bottles. Wind checkers, yep. Uh, we'll go Lots through of two of them. And I mean, we're always checking the wind, always, con- constantly. And uh, we do not use any scent. We don't use any anything like yeah, that. All about the wind. Yeah, yep. and the all biggest thing the is it, in a controlled environment, say we're hunting a small 100-acre farm, you need, like the consistent, like if you look at the eastern whitetail hunter, they, they have wind, you know, they know what it's going to blow yeah. at. It's very predictable. You go on the Oregon coast, it doesn't matter what the wind's calling for out of the south, it can be blowing all over, just broke up. Right. So. Yep. You just can't control the scent, and we're at the point where we embrace that, and you just play the wind. I mean, that is, and sometimes you have to force the issue. I think one, like, comment on scent and wind, I think early on, like, elk were 400 yards, the wind's blowing at them, and we're like, oh, well, we can't go after them. And we've learned that you can push that to, to that 100 yard a lot of times. You can get away with it, and then make your move. Like, just terrain-wise, you can, pr- you can get away with some wind. It's just once you get into that close bubble of theirs where they're going to bust you but um i think a lot of times early on especially like ty when we were when he was here he, he would be afraid to move you know he's like oh we got to hold up and wait it out it's like no move now get to where you need to be and play the wind based on when you get down there and then knowing situations like what this what the thermals are doing based on the terrain if it you know it might be blowing up here on the ridge but as soon as you drop to the creek bottom even at one o'clock in the afternoon it's going to be blowing down right there and you can get around those elk and using those terrain and also knowing like in the shade or out in the open you know just in a 15 yard area wind can be in a totally different direction so even though they're blow, it's blowing right at them but they're in an open sun that's coming you know in the opposite direction so you can kind of going to bust your play do you pull out the estrus and kind of yeah, on that last, that if it's a close deal, yeah, as far yeah. if we know a bull's coming in, if he's responding like that or something, then then definitely, yeah, just try it. And like I said, it doesn't always work. It has worked a couple times to where it's given us a few extra seconds to maybe get a shot, but it doesn't always always work. Awesome, yeah. thanks. Yeah, no problem. Are we choose success with using decoys? Uh, we should probably good. use them more. Yeah, especially in open country. Consensus. Yeah. I see so many. They get spotted, yeah. and you can tell the bull's looking for the call, you know, who made the call. And if you yeah. add a decoy right there off to the side, and it doesn't have to be much, you know, that head heads on, something just enough to go, hey, there's a yep. set of eyeballs. No, we should. Two, we, I would. two years ago in Idaho, Trent and BMAC called in a bull for me that was 700 yards away in the open sage. and. They were flashing those decoys, and I think it made all the. It made all the. I guarantee it did. It was amazing. Yeah. They're telling us guys that we need Trey, to wrap this up. Out? Um, we really appreciate. We really appreciate you guys coming. Uh, after this is over, we'd love to meet you guys. And yeah. Say hi. Let's stay and hang out. Yeah, let's continue this conversation. Thank you guys again. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and hang out with us, and uh, we're going to take this party down to the retail store.
Yeah, huge Perfect. thanks to Benchmade yeah. for uh, having us come up here. To this